Well, boys, looks like you started the fun without me. You're all sick. Every last one of you. We're going to need a bigger gun. What's the matter? You scared of things that go boom? My name is Eric Exandra 13. I'm here with Michael Kester, who will pronounce two foreign film titles, please. <laughs> you were going to say you're going to name the director, but you, you dodged no, that I, too. I dodged that, yeah. Uh, we are going to cover. Well, uh, fuck it, fuck out. Oh, Wait. shit, okay. Wong Kar Wai. There you go. Or as we would say in English, Kar Wai Wong. Oh, my God. I forgot about the <laughs> reversal. Oh. <laughs> Um, Chunking Express is one movie and the other movie is called Fallen Angels. Those are the two movies, but they, uh, in addition to, I don't know, almost everything, they, in, they also share a director. They do. They do. <laughs> yeah. I just would, it, I guess we can call him Wong if we want to. We call Tarantino Tarantino. So what the fuck ever. Oh, way to score the first Tarantino drop today. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know where you're coming from. Um, welcome to Double Feature, a show where we pair movies together that aren't new releases. Um, they're, they don't have any superheroes in them. They, uh, they, they don't have lightsabers, at least today. We pair movies, we talk about themes, we tend to spoil them. We but do that tend, yes. We don't set out to spoil them, but we are also not, we are not bound by the laws of spoilership. Fuck, man. Can I just tell you, there are so many plot points in these two movies. Yeah. I mean, it, first of all, it's basically four fucking movies. Right. And I just cannot, I can't catalog. So, you know, years ago, you and I would sometimes try to, you know, you'd go out of town or something. We tried to bank three or more shows in a day. Mm -hmm. So that's six films, right? Mm-hmm. And we realized that, you know, my threshold is six. Right. I cannot store more than six films in memory at once. And, you know, that, that obviously gets worse as I get older too. Or, Well, uh, yeah, I mean, we're down to two now. Right. <laughs> older, more out of Van Riddled. I don't know what, what happened. I actually think it's getting <laughs> better since I stopped taking out of Van. But I, I, I think, I, I would agree that it's... There's permanent damage, you know. I think it's getting better, but I think out of Van notwithstanding, you're seeing movies in the theater. That makes it way easier. Yeah, it does, it does. Although I still can't tell you a single plot point from Alphaville. <laughs> I I swear I've seen that movie. I did a whole show about it. I cannot recall. I would probably love it. Yeah. I I sincerely need to watch it. Anyways, Adavan's not the point of the show, <laughs> or is it? Double feature <laughs> is brought to you by Adavan. And now a word from Adavan. <laughs> Tell your own personal testimonial about Adavan. Yeah. So uh, I guess my point was just that there's a lot of stuff going on in these movies, mm -hmm. and then the movies themselves. You know, they're a lot. Mm -hmm. This is extreme cinema, you know. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I, I'm, I'm still. I can tell you a lot about a third of, of sure. all of this. Well, okay. So I, I mean, I think we should name check this right before we're about to talk about the Patreon. Then we'll talk about the movies. But before we talk about the Patreon, just to give anybody who's uh, anybody who's seen these movies 
or who's been with Double Feature for a long, long time, Wong Kar Wai also did In the Mood for Love, which when we're speaking of um, cinema at its finest, it's difficult to find a conversation on the internet about In the Mood for Love that doesn't at least once refer to it as perfect. So <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. Is the, that is the arena we're playing in. Not too long ago, we were discussing fucking would you rather? And while <laughs> some people in the room may regard that as possibly a perfect film, jury's out. Uh, <laughs> jury's out. How long does it take the jury to decide? What's the statute <laughs> of limitations on would you rather? That's what I want to know. Um, but I think that I think that a greater number of, th- this director carries with him sort of a behemoth respect when it comes to his cinematic wizardry, and so of course, completely without any research, you go, let's do two of his movies at the same time, and I was like, I'm tired, and I, so yeah. I just agreed. And now here we are. Ah, see, this is what you get for not auditing the double feature suggestions. <laughs> you wonder why you give me a list now and I go, let me get back to you in six right. days. Right, right. Yeah, well, you know, the thing that, um, all right, what, Patreon. Yeah. We'll just, keep, we'll just keep bobbing and weaving here, I guess. So we have this Patreon. The Patreon is where listeners come to support the show because as we know from prior years on planet earth without your support the things you love just vanish and this has been going on for quite some time we've been sort of uh slugging along on this patreon and it's hard you know we live at the threshold of where we're able to do the show and i want to say you know in the last couple of weeks like it was it, it it's a fucking roller coaster all the time but uh, it was starting to look really bleak. And then in the last couple of weeks, a few people pulled through. And now we're just barely getting to that break-even point again where we can make up some of the losses of the, the prior months, which is great because this is right about when we get hit with a pretty big server bill that I'm yeah. not excited about. <laughs> so patreon.com forward slash double feature. If you like weird episodes like this, you know, we thought we'd we'd uh, do something that's both very double feature, but also as never seen on double feature. Yeah, and uh, come be part of this. You can do it on the Patreon. So, our, this is my segue back into Wong Kar Wai. I would argue that uh, this year of double feature, so far, pressure ever building, is our in the mood for love in the pantheon of double feature. So far, it is approaching a perfect season. And so if you want to keep us under that pressure, support the show. If you want to relieve us of that pressure, um, stop supporting the show. And then uh, we'll just be sad and you'll be sad because you don't get to watch us potentially. It's like NASCAR, right? Every week we could there could be a fiery crash where we blow right, it. But right. so far we've made every left turn perfectly. <laughs> made every left turn. Just terrible. All right, so let's do a let's do a pretty honest show. I mean, I think the 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 place to start here is just like why the fuck I brought these movies to you. Yeah, um, I know the answer, but I'm going to let you tell me because I feel like uh, you have a more floral story. Well, I honestly think that it's it's what always gets you to watch movies that 
you're not watching, which is that it's not one thing. It's a hundred fucking people beating on your door being like, mm-hmm. this movie, this movie. Hey, remember the poster of this movie? Hey, this movie. Here's an email about this movie. Oh, this mm-hmm. movie's coming to a theater by you. Criterion says you might like this movie. Yep. I'm like, fucking, fu- I'll, I'll watch Falling Angels, God damn it. Just give me a second. Yeah. I've just been busy. I'll get around to it. Yeah. But what happened, what, what kind of created this little... Um, I don't know, this moment again for these movies is actually pretty interesting to me. There's this thing that's going on right now called the world of Wong Kar Wai, uh-huh. which is a physical thing. It is a crazy giant box set of, I don't know, seven or nine of this guy's movies. Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop you right there. You want to know what makes me give a shit about a director? Mm-hmm release their entire filmography on a box set oh, and I'm going to buy it. That's it. I mean, that's <laughs> what happened with um, uh, I can't think of the movie. I feel really bad. But remember we did that exploitation movie about the like moonshine running in Georgia? Oh yeah, of course. Th- literally uh, fucking Arrow goes box set of this director and I'm like, that is a director I'm now interested in. Purchase. Right, right. <laughs> well, you know, and I think you and I are both similar this way, but this is something Criterion's really great at. They canonize something that doesn't have canon. Right. You know, they are, I mean, and this is all letterboxes, is these fucking lists that are like official list of these 200 films. You mm-hmm. got to check these off and watch them. It's why Marvel is popular. It's literally the reason. It's because people want to watch all, TV man. in That's the theater. It. Yeah. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so when when Criterion goes, oh, we've got 1,100 spines or whatever the fuck, then there's a certain element to it that's sort of like, life would be better if I'd seen all those. Mm-hmm. This really seems like a, a well, and especially when they put care behind it, mm-hmm. then you start going like, and everyone has a you know a personal essay included and all of this extra content or, you know, what really stuck with me about these is that I saw they did 4K remasters of every fucking film, mm-hmm. which is pretty crazy. That's a lot of movie to be restoring and remastering, and they're not that old. So then I then there was this um, you know this sort of thing that happened where I the curiosity got the better of me. Why are they being restored? Did something happen to them? Well, it was only the nineties. I. I was around in the 90s. Do I need to be restored? It was only the 90s, 30 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Right, exactly, yeah. So this idea that somebody would put together the proper vision of some, like I said, I don't remember if it's seven or nine or whatever it is, but, you know, a lot of these films, that that kind of struck me emotionally. It was like, oh, somebody's giving a lot of care and attention Mm -hmm. to these. I should give care and attention to these. Mm -hmm. And I will say that while these two films go so fucking perfectly together, that was just a blind shot. I just picked sure. two popular ones I've, I'd already seen in The Mood for Love. And so I, I went Chunking Express and Fallen Angels. And look, here we are. Yeah, I mean, I literally had... It's funny because you said something about World of Wong Kar Wai and I literally... I believe my response is, don't quote me, but who's that? Yeah. yeah. Well, I should say was also mine, right? Because while I'm like people are beating my door down, I mean yeah. for two months. Not yeah. and you know. 
It's funny because like in the I own it's funny enough, I own in the mood for love on Criterion. I own that. <laughs> right. It's a movie I own. Um but I just and I knew the director was a director, but for some reason I just wasn't putting his name together. Um when you hyphenate something, I automatically just like lose part of it. Like don't hyphenate last names. It's not, it's a waste of time and space. And so I I sort of went into this blind until you know I think it was probably halfway through the first movie when it started to chunking express. Is that the one you want to start with? Can we go? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Great. Start there. It started to ring familiar tonally too in the mood for love. Mm-hmm. And it was sort of like a, it was like, it, it's like two pieces of a check coming together. And I realized, Oh my God, this is the, in the mood for, okay. And it's sort of like, you know, one of the things we talk about a lot on Double Feature is, um, you know, we we you and I really take pleasure in putting ourselves in uncomfortable cinematic territory, going places that the show hasn't gone, or even more so, you and I haven't actually explored in a in a wide enough scope to feel comfortable speaking for thirty minutes about it. Mm-hmm. And we just love to drive straight to that place and put ourselves on the spot. And once I realized that this was a director we had seen before. It was it was suddenly like, okay, wait, okay. So now it just literally it gave me sort of like a an extra point on the graph to start drawing lines. Yeah. And it doesn't necessarily make me feel like I can't I just can't say that I can tell you all of the meaning behind this movie. I don't think that that's really even on a first watch, anybody who tells you that they can see Chunking Express and tell you exactly not only what happens, because that's easy, but what it's about, what it's talking about. Mm-hmm. Honestly, you know, props to, I'm going to give this one, I'm handing this to you, not even to double feature. This is straight to you. It took the second movie for me to start thematically building what the director wants to talk about, what the yeah, film sure, wants sure. to talk about. And you know, I Again, start happy accident, man. Right, but so the first movie, there's sort of that line right in the beginning, Chunking Express, when he talks about I, what is it, a tenth of a centimeter or something? Yeah, yeah. He talks about it's it's. I was gonna say a tenth of an inch, and then switched it to centimeter, <laughs> but it's um. He talks about some tiny percentage of the distance between um him and the the blonde woman. Um, but it's more referential and they talk about this. It, it's sort of thematic in the next movie too, but immediately upon realizing what that meant, it just like sent, I basically, I, I, I basically wanted to pause the movie and literally just like sit and meditate on all the people I have physically been in contact with that I have never spoken to from being on the subway in Chicago, from standing in line at the movie theater. All of these human beings, we talked, um, we talk all the time about, you know, the human experience in the theater, like being with other people. Mm-hmm. And this whole idea of like, there are people. So, I mean, just think of it this way. One of the, this actually occurred to me, like you and I, so we talk on honestly, probably a daily basis, but let's be nice and say like, let's say at least weekly um, on the, on the bad weeks. Mm. And I have seen you in person once in the last five years. And we, Ten we years. made a fucking movie. When yeah. We, but we did it, you know, but that said, but that said, there's like in that amount of time, there's probably 
a million people I've physically been close to and never really encountered. And it had me thinking about things like how social media has like increased the acceptable distance of human interaction. And anyway, so that's literally one line from the movie. Um, <laughs> yeah. You want to do this movie sentence by sentence or what? <laughs> Seriously. I've got a sentence. I would like to posit uh, a oh, please, sentence for you. Please. The log line. Thank you. Yeah. I was <laughs> yeah. going to say, if you want to start with the sentence, yeah. it needs to be one of two things. The log line or a line from California Dreaming. Those are the only... <laughs> What other movie did we watch, by the way, that was like played California Dreaming I can't or Record remember, a but Times? It definitely made me like, I literally was on the Wikipedia rabbit hole for the Mamas and the Papas. Oh, yeah, yeah. Officially, I'm like, what does this mean? I know we made a joke about it in the show too, and it was fairly, re- you know, like last couple months or something, but somebody yeah. used California Dreaming like a stupid number of times. Yeah. You know, like half the number is used in this movie. <laughs> Yes, the logline. So this movie is told in two parts. The uh, the first part is a what is his what is his job? He works at a like a lonely cops man. He's the cop. That's right. Sorry. Yeah. Again, watch these two movies back to back. I know. I know. And they ha- there's a little bit of overlap. So he's he's this cop, and he keeps falling in love with. Uh, well, he he's got an ex ex girlfriend. Then he encounters this mysterious blonde woman whom he falls in love with. And uh, it's sort of like the story of, fuck, dude, I can't even logline this shit. Expired pineapples. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 I think it's, it's, you know, it's two sort of bittersweet love stories. It's two people sort of like crawling out well yeah i don't even know it, the fact it's two is just so wild right I, it's such a simple thing and it doesn't seem that weird but when you're trying to unpack it and it's like well do the two intertwine i mean not in a way that is readily available it seems like two different I mean, stories they, yeah they don't they don't explicitly they pass the baton you know but it's right, like an anthology with only two mm-hmm. only two parts yeah, and then you know you you also have the perspectives that are a little different because I feel like the focus is very much from the male protagonist in the first one, mm-hmm. and the second couple or triangle or whatever it is is mostly Faye. It feels like to me is mostly you know right her character going to the house and doing weird creepy things, right? Or weird creepy wonderful. I don't want to be on the side that like this is a creepy movie now. I think it's, I think that stuff still plays as sweet and romantic in a fucked up way. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you know the other thing we didn't we didn't talk about that I do just want to hit is, and I I don't know you know if you fold this into a logline or what, but these are you describe these as movies. You know people are throwing around words like a perfect movie and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And it's also in a genre that's like maybe there's an argument that it's best categorized as romantic comedy. Mm -hmm. And that is not a genre where people deliver above and beyond. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That is uh, probably has more stock trope kind of, even like this is 5% better than a trope is itself kind of a trope of romantic comedies. Sure, it's like sure. romantic comedy, but 5% better. 
right. kind of weird. So you'll tell your friends. Right. So to have these uh, these movies that feel like masterpieces and in a genre where we don't even find a lot of stylistic stuff we really like mm-hmm. is also kind of mind-blowing to me. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think they're like bodega love stories. Sure. You know, we got this Midnight Express place. It's kind of like what? I don't know. There's a lot of convenience stores around. This is like kind of a little restaurant sort of place. And it's a uh, Midnight Express is like a hub of all the stories. It's like a a place that people go to connect. But, you know, it does sort of remind me of this this thing people say about bodegas of like, you know, you can leave your keys there or whatever. You know, it's like, it's very communal, I guess, is, is what I'm thinking. And the communal element is why it's the centerpiece of the story. But thematically, coming out of that log line, we have this place, we have these people, these kind of love triangles. But I I go back to what you were saying about the space. I feel like that is, Mm -hmm. there's a reason that that idea is presented early and often. And it feels to me that these are really both, but especially this one, movies about the the kind of lack of like real human connection. Yeah, I mean- Or maybe like touch or affection. I think it's that, but I also think maybe this is just like the, Maybe this is the 2021 talking, but like it's also not devoid of sort of this gross feeling that all human interaction is like entirely futile and we only assign value for whatever reason. Mm. You know, there's the, the, I think the way that the first story in Chunking ends, the whole story is essentially about, um, you know, he's got this ex who he's obsessed with. He meets this new person who is maybe going to re redirect that obsession. That doesn't work out. And then like snap of the fingers, some guy goes, what about this girl? Why don't you just fall in love with her instead? Mm-hmm. And it's sort of like to him, as we see in this story, it's like, I mean, literally the ground he walks on is defined by these romances that are arguably not romances. I mean, he, the, the, the character, the blonde, blonde woman in the story, he barely interacts with. Yeah. She like falls asleep. That's their date. She (laughs) falls asleep and he watches TV. Yeah. Which again, you want to talk here. Let me tangentially just talk about how that is the average fucking relationship. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, it's one person falls asleep and the other one like sort of dicks around on TV until they're bored <laughs> enough to go somewhere else. Uh. That's love. And so just like this, there's sort of, to me, I see this as as like this, this tiny, tiny dust-like speck on this tiny, tiny blue rock who goes, oh no, I, I think I'm in love with this person. And like, he cares. It's literally everything. And the audience cares because, you know, that's what we've chosen to do with the next 35 minutes of our day. But like, in the grand scheme of things, like, there's nothing to separate the blonde woman from any other woman he bumps into. He just kind of just goes, this is the one I love now. Well, there's this thing, um, look it up. The, there's a video for Criterion of Barry Jenkins talking about you know, what Chunking Express taught him about kind of longing. Mm-hmm. And he's talking about sort of the... the how Barry giant, Jenkins is uh, Moonlight. Yes. For 
sorry, just wanted to make one name check. We need to be able to hashtag these things. Yeah, right, right. I think you just shouting films as <laughs> as we reference people is good. Yeah, but he, you know, he's, he's just kind of talking about this element of like how the world seemed very big to him and very small at the same time. Mm-hmm. And you know what you're saying sounds like a very big, vast world, a uh, tiny blue speck. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I also feel like it's very intimate. Like we we live inside some of the characters' heads in a way that's, you know, this girl's going to uh, this guy's place over and over, mm-hmm. and it's not. I used the word creepy before, but it's it's like what's interesting to me about it compared to other films is we're really focusing on the why of the creepy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just about look at this girl, she's doing a weird thing, but we spend a lot of time there with her. Right. So we can see why she kind of likes living in and around his stuff because of this sort of proximity and this sort of like get it, almost like they're together, like she lives there, like she's, right. you know, part of his world. I actually think it, it might kind of take some of the creepy out by making us identify because, again, because of the intimacy the audience has with the characters that the characters don't have with each other. I did want to uh, mention the Tarantino real quick. You know, this is... It's the Tarantino a, of it all. Well, it's a, mid, you know, it's a mid-90s film, and you and I were Tarantino kids. Like, that was, you know, that was just the time we came into film and some of the first... I mean, I, I'm a Robert Rodriguez kid who was co-opted into Tarantinoism. <laughs> I, no, no, I hear you. But, you know, you remember, like, um, this was one of the Rolling Thunder films. You remember those? The, the yes, Tarantino, vividly. like, vividly, yeah, sub label. Yeah. So House he was of, uh, master of the flying guillotine, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, Rolling Thunder. <laughs> yeah. Sort of so you know, when when somebody really had to make the case to get Asian films into America, um, when that was still like, and you know, Tartan Extreme, and like we were getting some weird Japanese stuff. But I remember when when more Asian movies started showing up at my video store. And that was uh, that was like a movement that that felt like it had a lot of intent. But I did think it was weird, just considering the time we came into film as well. For a lot of people, this movie sounds like it was in you know one of their first like ten movies that really sucked them into film. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we had the. I mean, I would say Rodriguez and Tarantino are both on that list of like directors who I went, oh my god, these movies. Yeah, and, it's like the uh, it's yeah. I was gonna say it's like the um, it's like uh, for our generation, I feel like it's Eternal Sunshine. Like anybody who was into film, who be, who's become into film, saw Eternal Sunshine. and was like, wait, movies aren't just yeah. It's not all simple entertainment, or sometimes mm-hmm. they're complicated, or there's deeper stuff there. Mm-hmm. But just as a you know, we didn't talk about the style of this movie almost at all. We'll talk about some stuff on Fallen Angels. But it's very fucking vivid and punchy, and it's the kind of stuff in the '90s that I think would have really like. You know, I'm a very visual person like that. That the visual films are the ones that fucking punched me, and went, "Wake up! Look at these movies!" Right. And so I was actually kind of surprised that there's like this alternate Earth where there were you know seven of these movies, and I didn't know about them. Right. And Fallen Angels is another one there. Sorry yeah. about that. 
Well, Fallen Angels, so you mentioned how Chunking Express is, I guess, if you're doing genre. You know, I feel like Wong Kar Wai is like a fucking, like a local indie band who you meet at a bar and you're like, yo, what kind of music do you play? He's like, man, I don't really like to define it, but like, I guess if you had to, (laughs) it'd be like a crime, romantic, thriller. What's Well, what's your band yeah, name? Yeah. We're the Fallen Angels, dude. Yeah. Like, you know, just <laughs> yeah. take take from it what you will. That's how that's how these movies feel. People are like, well, what's the genre? And you're like, you know, it's Wong Kar Wai. It's like a little bit of, I don't know, man. It's, it's not about that. It's like trying to answer whether or not David Lynch has ever made a horror movie. Have you ever had that conversation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Has David Lynch ever made a horror movie? It's like, well, do you have 45 minutes? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you could have that conversation about each of the movies it's, <laughs> until you back into a corner on is the straight story a horror movie? Right, <laughs> right. Well, it's G-rated and for Disney and about riding a lawnmower. But yeah, yeah a I little bit. I've seen other movies about riding lawnmowers that are firmly horror not taking your bait. I've inflated the stock of lawnmower man enough. All right. All right. We don't need to, we gave that a whole 24 minutes on the show. I just, yeah, this is uh, fallen angels was so perfect to do with this because it, I guess it started as what would have been the third story in the last movie and kind of became its own movie that of course became a schism of, you know, kind of a weaving really of two stories in this one. Mm-hmm. But Man, I mean, seeing these back to back was really like this is the day and night Hong Kong, you know, double feature. Mm-hmm. It was such a, um, uh, and I know he's talked about that too, kind of the the light and darkness, the one film, yeah, kind of idea between these. But yeah, it's really it's another we're dealing with like also talking about loneliness in this, also talking about proximity to people and love, but we're doing it under the this always black night that takes up so much of the frame just pure blackness and i'm watching it you know projected 4k if there was anything to see in those shadows i promise you i would have right. but it's like 80% darkness frame and of course the insane wide angle lens close ups it's one thing too to make a movie like this wide and crazy, but it's the close-ups that really make it feel like, um, you know, it's almost it's like music video style, '90s music video style or something. It's so intense. Man, you know, one of the things that I thought was actually shocking is these two movies came out what a year apart, two yeah. years. Yeah, yeah. For all they have in common, which I joked about at the beginning of the show. Hi, if you skipped, uh, if you skipped. Chunking Express, here comes the punchline. But they don't share like aesthetic styles, really. Like no, they, they, they make very different choices on how the movie is going to use different techniques. You know, the first, the Chunking Express had that sort of like choppy motion thing. And this uses way more, this feels way more 90s. And Chunking Express actually feels like a newer movie to me. Chunking Express feels like it's in the um, the uh, New French Extreme era of cinema, <laughs> where it's like yeah. it's like choppy and harsh. And whereas Fallen Angels feels way more like In the Mouth of Madness, which is the movie that is the movie that's a definitive '90s movie for me. If anybody's like, "What's a '90s movie look like?" It, the answer is In the Mouth of Madness. 
Yeah, I mean, there's there are very visual styles. The night and day thing is obviously going on. And I also think just comparing the two of them, this has a lot more action elements to it. Right. So, you know, I'm still feeling that almost claustrophobic. Or, tell me what you think about this. Okay, so you're mention, mentioning, you know, calling David Lynch movies horror movies or here on the show, you know, I'm like calling everything horror movies all the time. Right, sure. But we often see, I mean, how how I at least, I don't want to pin this on you, but I like to find the horror spirit that runs through a lot of thrillers and genres mm-hmm. that's kind of buried deep down in there. Is this a cyberpunk movie? You know what I mean? I mean, I, it's it's it definitely has. In the way that I call elements. everything a horror movie, I feel like there's something about this that's kind of, you know, we're on like the subway all the time. We're in elevators. Yeah. We're in little alleys. The city's drenched in neon, but it's always mm-hmm. fucking nighttime. They're on motorcycles. It's a completely sci-fi stripped matrix sort of akira sort yeah, of yeah yeah it's it's got all these elements of of it it, it it's really interesting man this is this is what i'm talking about where when you watch these two movies back to back you start to really we do this on purpose and we're still fucking surprised we're like man when you watch a director's <laughs> movies back to back you really start to learn what they do and it's like it's really interesting to to see this next to another one of this director's movies and go, okay, so this isn't something he always does. So you can't chalk it up to there's actually there's he's 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 bobbing and weaving. This is by knowing what a director does do, by seeing two things next to each other, it becomes easy to identify what's different. Yeah. And that's that's actually one of the things I picked up on this is I expected to leave Chunking Express, enter Fallen Angels, and see another like sort of more grounded, more longing Jean-Pierre Junet situation uh, uh-huh. like we had in the previous film. And instead, I'm immediately like, okay, no, this is like way more of like a dark city. Like there's something going on that feels... It, it, I don't know. I, I it's definitely. I don't know if I would say cyberpunk because to me, there's like more of a noirist noirism about it. But you know, I feel like that. You know, Blade Runner is is that. I mean, that's that's the Blade Runner. It's the Blade Runner. Yeah, and I, also the, um, you know, obviously the the cyberpunk like eateries are very important, and you know, in Blade Runner, but in other places. Mm-hmm. But the thing that really got me going down that path was this crazy scene they have in the McDonald's and it's and it's <laughs> like you know McDonald's at at some impossible time at night and they're the only people there and it's just the the kind of aesthetic of giant corporate place you know chained with trillions of restaurants and you know it's huge it's the biggest building in this whole uh, movie and there's nobody in it and it's just an ungodly hour of the night. It kind of reminded me of like the, um, I, I don't know, like, uh, all right, so growing up in Chicago, you know, you'd go down to somewhere like Grant Park. I mean, all cities have this. But if you're out at two, three in the morning and you go to Grant Park, it's a big place. There's usually a lot of fucking people there. But when you're down there at that time, there's some sort of, surreal like no one's around Mm -hmm. you see one other person 
you don't know, you know, if they're unhoused or there's some wanderer or another kid down there or what, but there's almost this kind of like lawlessness about it, you know, Mm -hmm. like, oh, we're in Grand Park at three in the morning. I mean, there's like no rules out here. And that's kind of how this movie, it, it, that felt to me like the kind of place where somebody could, uh, you know, backflip over a closed food stand and just start serving burgers. Like that wouldn't have been right. That's not too far away from reality. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. that's just one of those feelings for me. Like I, I think because these films are so stylish too, they hit me with a lot of feelings where I pick up on, you know, I keep going back to the longing for human connection kind of feeling. And they say this about New York and it's, you know, this is like a a new city for me, but I felt this in Chicago too, where it's like, it's a huge city and there's a lot of people, but that's somehow more lonely, Mm -hmm. you know, like that kind of cliche. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're in a small town, you got five fucking people in the town, you guys are all in each other's business. Sure. But you get to a big city, it seems like there's a ton of people, you'd be less lonely, but it's, it's oddly harder to connect and it feels worse when you're not doing it. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's a, a feeling I got from Fallen Angels. Like you're just kind of, there's people everywhere and yet there's no one connecting with you. Right. Well, that's the that's one of the big differences between these two movies too, is that the first movie, sort of like I was saying, really wants to go look at these tiny little people's very important issues, right? Mm-hmm. And then the second movie goes, look at these tiny little people barely even existing on planet Earth. Yeah. Right. right? Like they have their stories, but like in the grand scheme of things, everything is very fast paced. That's why you feel that way in a big city is because you move to Chicago, Illinois. And when I don't, the number is like 25,000 people take public transit to and from work a day. Mm hmm. And if you're not one of them, that's 25,000 people busy without you. Yeah. You know, just that alone. Yeah, yeah. You're looking at you're looking at thousands of people who don't even know you exist and couldn't give less of a shit cuz they have to be somewhere by 9. Yeah. And then extrapolate that times every human being you ever pass in a big city. You see millions of them and they don't fucking give a shit. Yeah. And it's, you know, that's a big part of I mean, we met we met people at movie theaters. That's literally where we met people. Yeah. You know, that's part of why cinema is important to us. But in general, yeah, these big cities make it, they make what you're doing. You sort of have to harness that solitude that you're talking about, about being in Grant Park at 3 a.m. You know, you sort of have to go and do what you did, which is let's climb a parking garage and photograph a, a city going on without me. Oh yeah, sure. Right? Like sure, that, yeah, I was spending a lot of time doing that back then. Yeah. And when you like take that and go instead of the city ignoring me, I'm going to photograph the city ignoring me. You get some of that <laughs> <Right>. back. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, I can't do that with nobody uh, mentioning me on Twitter. It doesn't quite work. The, <laughs> those photos aren't, you know, not quite the same thing. Yeah, there is there is still um a loneliness I feel being in New York, even though there's a lot of people in my life and a lot going on. There's something else. I mean, this requires a lot deeper look. I don't really know, but there's something about being in a city. It's probably a lot of things that makes it just the ever presence of what you're not doing or who you're not around or the possible. You know what you do get to see is a lot of people who aren't in your world. 
it's like you were saying about the train. Mm -hmm. You commute with a lot of people that you're within a couple of centimeters of and never touch, which is uh, maybe just, I don't know, could be evolutionary or biological or something that it's upsetting. If we were on YouTube, I'd be like, do you get lonely and on the train? <laughs> Hit the comments below. <laughs> like, I don't really know how to solicit the data for this, but um, hopefully people saw these movies and maybe some of this stuff resonated with them and I won't just sound like a creep you know, cleaning your apartment for you while you're at work. <laughs> we have a website, <laughs> patreon.com forward slash double feature and a mention of Henrik Dinner the Abbott Oven Reason, Tom Leonard, Tony Gleed, and John. Thanks for this show, and thanks for bringing us some shows next time. Okay, two movies next time. This is going to feel familiar, although somehow two movies we haven't done. <laughs> um, we're we're going to do Ghost World, and I believe, did we, have we done Life During, we're, the other movie is Wiener Dog. Uh, it's a Todd Salon's movie. It's his most recent movie. Good, there you go. I have this bad habit of like saying one movie and then like going on a tangent. Uh, have we done life during wartime on the show? Have we done life during wartime? Okay. Come on. Just making sure. So, so this will be. <laughs> Just this, feel like how I didn't answer that. Yeah. This. Don't you know you can go on patreon.com forward slash double feature <laughs> and search for yourself? We're getting to the end of available Todd Salon's movies for double feature. That's one of the reasons Wiener Dog took like fucking eight years to get on the show. I'm just afraid of being out of Todd Salon's movies. So we're going to pair Wiener Dog with Ghost World. We're going to talk about, you know, anti-culture, not even counterculture, man. I want to talk anti-culture. Fuck you culture right here on double feature. Watch more fucking film. All right, bye.